I just have a quick question that I would love for you to engage with. Uh, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up and why? Anybody? Lawyer. Why? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? <laughs> All right. Black Power Ranger. Why? Nice. Nice. Anyone else? A teacher. Why a teacher? Awesome. <laughs> we'll do a couple more. Anybody? A what? An artist. Why was that? Mm. One more. A cowboy. <laughs> Why a cowboy? All right. Well, uh, for me, I wanted to be the president uh, because I wanted, as a five-year-old, I wanted to make it socially acceptable to have ice cream as a breakfast item. Uh, but as we think back about when we were kids and what we wanted to do, a lot of us really wanted to do things like be a lawyer, be a doctor, be a teacher, be an astronaut, be these professions for the sole purpose of doing great things in the lives of other people. I love just looking at kids and just seeing their, their just love for humanity and their just innocence and just like, yeah, I can do this thing and I can do great things to help people. But somehow, as we get older, the mentality of shifts from wanting to do great things for other people and it becomes doing great things for ourselves, where we are making our names great, where we are building a reputation, where we are building an, an, an image of what we want people to think of us. So in pursuit of becoming great, we see this desire of just like investing in our careers, pulling in all kinds of money, becoming wealthy, becoming powerful, becoming famous so that people look at us and people want to be like us. People come to us for information. People come to us for uh, advice. People come to us because of just how great and how amazing we are. Some even approach our faith this way, where if I just kind of like do all the right things and I say all the right things as a Christian, people are going to come to me and they're going to come to me for spiritual advice. They're going to come to me because I'm so great, because I'm so amazing. And we build this reputation of what we want people to think about us. In all the ways we want to be great, we're building an idea of, of a lasting legacy. We want our obituary to be filled of things that we did that were great and were awesome. We want people to remember us as a hero. So we prioritize the things in our lives that lead us to greatness, to wealth, to influence we, do, we prioritize things that lead us to a lasting legacy. I'm reminded of, uh, of the life of Tim Keller. Uh, he was a pastor, a theologian, a philosopher, and he actually passed away last week with a year, years-long battle with cancer. And I can't tell you how much he has done to build the church here in America, here in the world, of, through his writing through his, his philosophical insights, through his pastoring. We could say that 
Tim Keller left a lasting legacy on our, on our nation. And so what he has done is he has done a lot of great things, but he won't be remembered for his great things. He won't be remembered for all of these. I think he will be remembered first and, more, first and foremost as a man who loved Jesus, as a man who loved the church. Tim Keller will be remembered for his legacy, not because of his accomplishments, not because of all the great things that he's done, but simply for his faith and his love for Jesus. And certainly, Keller is, is a well-respected man that we want to emulate. But I think the key thing about Keller is that he had prioritized his life around the gospel. He had prioritized his life to make the name of Jesus greater than his own. Really, Keller has left a legacy because he has lived to make God great in his life. But I think the question that we're facing this morning is, who are you living for? What are you building your life around? As we've been in the book of Acts for the past couple of months, we've been focusing on how the early church has radically changed the world, becoming a movement that is centered on the transformation of the gospel of Jesus. People are changed. People are transformed because of the gospel taking root in people's hearts. And they are changed. And our world is different because of the early church 2,000 years ago. And this is all because of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit is moving through the lives of people. If you'll remember back a couple weeks ago, Pastor Kevin was preaching on the life of Stephen in Acts 7, and it was a lengthy sermon. And really, what Stephen, what stands out to us about Stephen is that he had lived for Jesus long before he actually died for Jesus. And Stephen is one of the foundations of how the church has moved from Jerusalem to how it has moved to other parts of the world. So the gospel is moving through the life of Stephen and also through the death of Stephen to spread the gospel outside of Jerusalem. And this is where we are introduced to our text today. And we are introduced to a man named Saul. Now Saul is going to play a very important role in the life of the church. He's going to play a very important role in, 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 uh, in how people live out their faith. And he has actually impacted every single person in this room. But we're, his story is going to be for another day. But it is after Stephen's death. Saul is there at his death. He approves of Stephen's death. And he is the catalyst to bring persecution against the church. Yet through that persecution, through that hardship, God is still moving. God is still advancing his mission and he is not going to be stopped because of persecution. If anything, we see that God uses suffering. God uses persecution. God uses hardships in our lives, in the church, in our nation, to further his purposes. This is the same thing with persecution. As we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, that there's nothing that God can't use to advance his kingdom. He turns persecution into an opportunity to scatter the church, kind of like a farmer would take a, a bag of seeds and scatter it through a field that is 
just ripe for harvest. So God is taking the church and he is scattering them across Jerusalem, across Judea, and then also through Samaria. And so God is showing us that he is going to do great things through the lives of the people who prioritize the gospel, who prioritize living their lives and pointing others to the hope of Jesus. I think it raises a good question for us. What does it look like for us to prioritize the gospel in our lives? And it simply starts that we proclaim the gospel to others. To proclaim the gospel means that we are to declare the truth of the gospel like a messenger. That we are taking what we have witnessed God doing in our lives, witnessed in his love, in, in, his, in, in his desire for people, and we are sharing that with people in our workplace. We're sharing that with the people in the grocery stores. We're sharing that with our neighbors. We're sharing that with each other. We're sharing that with our, uh, with our family. We are proclaiming the gospel of what God has done in us and through us. And we see this in verse 4. Now, those who were scattered, what about preaching the word? These are individuals who are facing persecution. They are being beaten for their faith. They're being arrested. They're losing their jobs. They're being rejected by their family. And rather than just hunker down and complain about the governing authorities doing illegal and unjust actions, they take the gospel and they preach it. They say, this is what God has done, even though we are suffering. And so the Christians flee from Jerusalem because of the intense persecution that's rising, and they are proclaiming Christ. They are saying, this is what God is doing. This is who God is. They're not focusing on on their fear. They're not focusing on their hurt. They're solely focusing on the message and the person of Jesus. And a key figure that we're going to be focusing on today and also next week is a man named Philip. Uh, we'll look at verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. If you will remember, we are now reintroduced to Philip. He was one of those guys in Acts 6, 1 through 7, who was chosen alongside Stephen. He's a man full of wisdom, a man full of grace, and a man full of the Holy Spirit. He is, for all intents and purposes, he is just like Stephen. Both of them are living for Jesus. Both of them are pursuing Jesus. Stephen lives for Jesus and he dies. Philip lives for Jesus and he continues to have a very effective ministry. So Philip is a man that we are reintroduced to And the focus here is not necessarily on what Philip is doing, but what the Holy Spirit is doing through the life of Philip. And so Philip is faithfully preaching the gospel. He's going to Samaria, a hostile land, and he wants them to know about Jesus. If you're not up to date on biblical history and biblical peoples, I'll just say it real quick. For you, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And the Jews hated Samaritans. Actually, they hated each other. Uh, They were bitter enemies. They came from similar heritage. They came from a similar religious background. And yet, the Jews looked at the Samaritans as, as 
abandoning the faith, abandoning God and intermarrying with Gentiles. And so they were kind of looked down as like cats. They were filthy. They were disgusting. They were just unlovable. And this animosity wasn't just anything new. It had been going on for centuries. And this is the people group that Philip goes specifically to share the gospel with. And this is what the Holy Spirit does through him as he proclaims the hope of the gospel to others. Verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he had done. So the people hear the gospel. They hear the supremacy and the sovereignty of Christ. And they hear about how he came to earth in the flesh, how he died for their sins, and how he redeemed them through their, of their sins through his resurrection. So he's speaking the power of Christ through the gospel. And they believe. The Holy Spirit accompanies this message with miracles. And so the people hear the gospel. They see the miracles that are accompanying this message. They are responding in faith. Sometimes for us, as we look at just the busyness of our lives and we look at all of the things that we have got going on, sometimes we do really well in living out our faith. But sometimes we just forget to proclaim the gospel transformation in our lives to others. Philip is is modeling for us on what this looks like. If if our lives have been radically transformed by the gospel, why keep silent? I think one word sums that up is is, is fear. Fear of what am I going to say? What am I going to do? How are people going to respond to me as I step out and I share my faith? What is true for the early church is also true for us. The Holy Spirit is present in us and with us When we step out in our faith and share our faith, he gives us words to speak. He speaks through us. He gives us that power that we are afraid of of stepping into. The Holy Spirit is present with us as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus to others. So not only do we prioritize the gospel proclamation, but we also prioritize the gospel by making Jesus' name great the life of the believer is that we are supposed to be making our life, not our own, but we are supposed to be making our life reflect Christ in us. But before we're told what's going to happen next, we're introduced to someone new in the text. I want to jump to verse 9 real quick. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great, And then verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So Simon is introduced, and we can tell just from these two verses that Simon is a self-absorbed narcissist. I think we could say that he is a walking definition of what a narcissist is. He's the kind of person that every conversation is about himself, about how many cars he owns, about how many houses he has, about all of the money that he has invested in. 
He's the guy that wants you to know about how smart he is, about how good he is, about how wise he is, and he is the guy that is building his name for himself. His reputation is all about me. We've worked with these people. We've had neighbors that are like this. We've interacted with people that are just all about me. And you know, it's easy to see when it's in the life of another person. A little bit more difficult when it's ourself. So just kind of a quick litmus test on where we are. We live in a selfish culture and we are byproducts of the selfish culture that we're in. How often do you make conversations about yourself? How do you look for praise and recognition from others when you do something good? Here's a big one. Who gets the credit when something big in your life happens, like graduation or a big job that you've been waiting for or things just lining up? Who gets the credit in your life? So how you answer those questions may be an indication of where your heart is. And as we wrestle with this idea of greatness and being and having a great reputation, Philip approaches this idea of, great, of, of greatness differently than Simon. He says in verse 12, uh, but when they, the Samaritans, believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Philip, not living for himself. Philip is not living to make his name great. Philip is living to make the name of Jesus Christ great. And so Simon makes, or Philip is telling the people about the name of Jesus. People are hearing the gospel. They're seeing these miracles, and they are coming, and they are putting their faith in Jesus. Lives are transformed by the simple proclamation of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is doing signs and wonders with that. And we have something shocking that happens here in the text. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was, he was amazed. So Simon here makes a profession of faith. And he is coming to faith because he is amazed by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit through Philip. And he wants that. He's attracted to that. He, being a lifelong magician, looks at the miracles that Philip is doing and he says, I want that. I want that for myself. Not only that, but he sees that the miracles that Philip is doing are greater than the, than the magic that he ever practiced on his own. And so Philip, or Simon responds to all of this because of the fact that Philip is proclaiming the name of Christ. And for us, making Jesus' name greater than our own is simply a life of just surrender, of submission to God. When we do good in the world, we give the reason for our kindness and our goodness, not because that's how we're naturally uh, disposed, but that's because of the kindness and the goodness that God has shown us. We are making Christ's name, who has redeemed us, who has saved us from our sins, greater than our own. 
When we do that, we are able to witness the Holy Spirit working in us, the Holy Spirit working through us, and we see that our lives are different, are changed, and the people, lives of the people around us are different because the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us as we give people the only hope that matters, and that is the hope of Jesus. But we also prioritize the gospel as, in our lives as we let the Holy Spirit lead. The Holy Spirit has been doing amazing things throughout the book of Acts. People are different. The city of Jerusalem is different because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. People are changed. People are generous when they didn't used to be generous. People are, are having all kinds of signs and wonders when they didn't have that before. And yet in this text, the Holy Spirit continues to, to work and move through the lives of Philip, one of the things that you may notice is when you hear what God is doing at a church or in a city, you kind of want to go and you want to see that for yourself. And this is exactly what happened in verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Peter and John are present at every key movement throughout the book of Acts. They are the church leaders. Peter was the one who first got up in Acts 2 and preached to thousands of people representing 13 different nations. He's preaching the gospel. People put their faith in Jesus. They repent and are baptized. Peter, is, Peter and John were the first to be persecuted by the, uh, by the Jewish authorities when they were beaten for their faith. They were the first to be in the church because they are leading the church. They were the guys that walked with Jesus every day, every moment that when, when Jesus was here. And so they're hearing that the gospel is spreading to the Samaritans. Again, this is, this is not what you would expect. You would, might expect, okay, uh, the gospel is spreading to a, another city like Selah. This would be like us in Yakima, hearing that the gospel is spreading to Seattle and crazy things are happening in Seattle we would look at Seattle and we'd be like, we're nothing like Seattle. We want nothing to do with Seattle. And yet to hear that the Lord is working and moving in the lives of Seattle would cause us pause, even more so with Samaria. These people have wanted nothing to do with God. They've wanted nothing to do with the Jews. And now God is at work in the lives of the people who we would expect the least. So they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They see a profession of faith. They see people obeying. They see people striving to make the gospel a priority in their lives. And they are just amazed at the work that God has done in Samaria. But I want to, I want to say something here real quick. It is abundantly clear that the <clears throat> Samaritans believed the gospel, they were saved, and they were baptized. I think it raises an important question for us. Why did they receive the Holy Spirit later? The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. 
wanted nothing to do with each other. So God was withholding the Holy Spirit for this specific moment for the sole purpose that if they had gotten the Holy Spirit, those divisions, those rivalries, those contentions would continue to take root in, the, in, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and these people would continue to be at odds with each other. So here, the Holy Spirit indwells the Samaritans through the ministry of Peter and John, demonstrating that the gospel unites believers of all backgrounds together as one family. We are, one of the things that we say at Restoration Church is that we belong together. Things that, that divide us, like who we vote for, the color of our skin, the language that we speak, the backgrounds that we come from, we all have diverse backgrounds, but it is only through the gospel of Jesus that we are united together, that we belong together as a family. And this is exactly played out here in the book of Acts. God wants us to all to understand that regardless of what divides us, we may have more in common with each other than we may with our own blood because of the gospel of Jesus. God wants us to recognize that we worship the same God, that we are part of the same body, that we have the same, or that we, we are all working together for the same mission to, to know Christ and to make Christ known in the world. We belong together as a family. So this, this is, I think, one of the greatest things that the Holy Spirit does throughout the story is he brings enemies who hate each other together, making them brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's the most powerful thing that the Holy Spirit does here in the book of Acts. Because the people that we think of our enemies are the exact people that God says, I want them in my family. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. The Holy Spirit is uniting us and knitting us together. And this is only because of, of, of us letting the Holy Spirit lead us into greater understanding of this. And so this was a unique time in the life of the church as we look and see in the rest of the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit does come when we make a profession of faith and we don't need a laying on of hands. We don't need uh, people to, to, to pray over us for us to see the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that in a couple weeks. But in all of these things, we, we let the Holy Spirit lead us in our lives as we turn to the word of God, as we commit ourselves to prayer, as we intentionally join a community of believers so that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, so that this Holy Spirit leads us. And this is where we see the gospel impact taking further effect is when we are letting the Holy Spirit lead us and respond to him. As the, whole, as the apostles followed the Holy Spirit's leading, the church was strengthened and it was expanded all because the Holy Spirit was working through them. But not only does the Holy Spirit lead us, but we prioritize the gospels, we examine our motivations. Even though the Holy Spirit is doing great things, our hearts are often misaligned with God's heart. Let's turn back to, to Simon in verse 18. 
Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon is a, is a tricky person. Even after making a profession of faith, you still see a desire to make himself great. You still see him being motivated to have Holy Spirit power for the sake of people coming to him. He can be a spiritual guide. He can give the Holy Spirit to other people. He's not interested in the message of the gospel. He's interested in the power of the gospel. As we look at, at Simon, man, Simon's heart wants the power and the recognition and the reputation of leading. He doesn't, he's not really interested in the gospel taking root in his heart. He is motivated by his own greatness. We could even say that Simon was drawn to the faith because of the miracles, but let me, let me just say real quick that a lot of different people are drawn to the community of faith for different reasons. Some people come to, come to church because of a relationship or a potential relationship. Some people come to church because they like the music, they like the people. Some people like just the, 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 the messages or just the atmosphere of being, coming to church, and that's okay. God draws all people to himself through our motivations. But the thing about our motivations is that what drew us to the faith can't always be the same thing that keeps us in our faith. If we come to a faith because of a dynamic leader, or we come to faith because of a relationship, or we come to faith because of music, when those things change and our faith is rested in those things, what is our faith standing on? And so our motivations cannot stay what drew us initially to the faith. Our motivations need to change from what drew us to the faith to drawing into deeper relationship with God, to know him, to love him, to delight in him, and to help other people find that same love, joy, and delight in him. I love what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Meaning the things that we treasure, the things that we value, are the things that our heart desires. It's very clear, Simon desired, treasured the power of the Holy Spirit without desiring the person of Jesus. And he is continuing to be motivated in the praise and the accolades without desiring to know God for himself. If some of us are here and we're feeling, and I feel a lot like Simon and just my motivations and, and why I do things, Peter has a hard word for us this morning. This is what Peter says to Simon. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. The Holy Spirit is not a magic genie that we have sitting on our shelf that we pull out when we want Holy Spirit power and we rub and we ask for the Holy Spirit to do things through us. We obtain the Holy Spirit the moment that we place our faith in Jesus as a gift. 
Peter, or Jesus says in the Great Commission that all authority has been given to you to preach the gospel, uh, to go and, and make disciples of all nations. For I am with you in that. With you is the Holy Spirit being present with us as we make Christ known. We don't get the Holy Spirit just to do good things. And we shouldn't look at the Holy Spirit and rely on that gift more than the person of the Holy Spirit, more than the person of Christ, more than the person of, the, of, of, of God the Father. For, for us and for Simon, a lot of times, our motivations are, are the result of us not prioritizing the gospel in our lives. And this is how Peter continues to address Simon in verse 21. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. The only way forward for Simon and for us is to make room in our heart to surrender to Jesus, to live for him above all things, to make his name great more than our own, to proclaim the gospel to others. And when we prioritize the gospel in our lives, we will experience the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome addictions, to overcome brokenness, to overcome relationships, to overcome heartache. The power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit works through us and in us, revealing us, to bringing us to a place of where we can know God at more, at deeper levels. The goal for us as Christians is that we don't find greatness in ourselves. The goal should be that we live for Christ, making him known to others. And this is what the story has been teaching us this morning, that the Holy Spirit does great things in our lives when we prioritize the gospel and point people to Jesus. As we look back real quickly at the life of Philip, who has been modeling the Holy Spirit, working through his life, this whole story, we first see that the Holy Spirit worked through Philip to proclaim the gospel in verses 7 and 8. People are healed. The power of the Holy Spirit is present. Lives are, resta- are restored. People are made free. They are freed from their addictions. They are freed from their brokenness. And then the gospel produces joy because lives are made whole. People are right with God. People can know God for the first time in human history. And then we also see the Holy Spirit working through Philip to make it all about Jesus. This is where we see that lives are transformed. He proclaims the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. That is the gospel message that he proclaims. And then we, see, then we see that Philip is a man who follows the leading of the Spirit. And we're going to see more of this next week as he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit to give up this successful ministry in Samaria and to reach a nameless nobody on a desert road. Pastor Kevin will have, you'll, you'll see that next week. But in this passage, we see that Philip was a man who followed Jesus, the Holy Spirit's leading to go wherever he was led. He was one of those who was scattered like seed. He joyfully brings the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. And we also see that Philip demonstrated a life completed, completely motivated to bring honor and delight to God in the way that he interacted with the Samaritans, in the way that he proclaimed Christ, in the way that he modeled 
Christ. We see his motivations are to make Christ great. And what I love about the story of this gospel spreading to Samaria is that it ends exactly as it began. The faithful proclamation of the gospel in verses 25. Now when they, Peter and John, had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. I love how the, this story ends just as it began. The gospel is faithfully being proclaimed. They return home, seeing the model and the example of Philip, and they continue to prioritize the gospel for themselves. I know for us this morning, many of us maybe feel more like Simon than we do like Philip. The beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to stay there. The beauty of the gospel is that we can grow into the image of Christ through just submission, through pursuing the greatness of the kingdom of God over the greatness of ourselves. And I think it raises a few important, applicable questions for us this morning. First one is this, are your motivations honoring God? We live in a world that constantly promotes self. The philosophy of the age is just live your truth. Be yourself. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. And that we are, we are byproducts of the culture that we live in where we, while we may reject those things, we adopt them for ourselves, where we live for ourselves, where we are building our lives, our families, our reputation around ourselves. We are motivated for our own greatness. And oftentimes what we see is we can be very effective. We can be very successful in our motivations. But it's almost always in the absence of the power of the Holy Spirit. As we prioritize the gospel like Philip did, it means that we don't have to work hard enough, that we don't have to do all the right things, we don't have to say all the right things. We don't have to believe all the right things. We find, or we, we, when those are our motivations to do and say and believe all the right things, we find that God is, we feel that God is disappointing of us. We feel that God is angry with us because those are our motivations not to honor him, but to, to find his acceptance, to find his approval. And so for us this morning, as we look at what our motivations are, the work of Jesus in our hearts allows us to not to strive to earn God's approval, to earn God's acceptance. We don't need to be great. We don't need to be somebody for God to love us. We simply just have to come to Christ as we are, where we find delight in him, leading our motivation of our hearts to bring glory and honor to him in our lives. As we process through, what does it look like then for us to process our emotions? And the psalmist has already answered it for us. Psalm 139, 23 through 24, invites us to allow God to search our hearts, to search our motivations. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous grievous way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. 
when we pray this prayer, when we seek God, when we allow him to show us what our motivations are, what, what drives us to do the things that we do, God faithfully answers us. And the thing about us as gospel people is that we don't have to strive. We don't have to work hard for God to love us. We don't have to work hard for Christ to work through us because Christ and his, his death and his resurrection is the fuel for our motivation in how we live and how we operate in the world. I would encourage you to take some time spending um, this morning or this week letting the Holy Spirit show you where your motivations are from out of fear, where your motivations are driven out of self, where your motivations are uh, through guilt that are hindering you from experiencing God's passions and presence and power for your life. I just have one more question for you, and that is, is your heart in line with God's heart? The passage shows us what God desires of us. This This is in verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. This is God's desire not just for Simon. This is God's desire for us that we repent and that we seek God's forgiveness. Notice what's not attached to this. Repent and go do this, go change your life, go be perfect, go have everything together, and then you can be forgiven. The sequence of our faith is repent and be forgiven. For us who have already made that profession of faith in Christ where we have repented from our sins, which is to turn away from our lifestyle of rejecting Christ and to turn to him in submission in, submit, in surrender, repentance for some of us is that we just simply have to know Jesus. We simply have to come to be in a saving relationship with him. And God desires good things for us. God desires for us to know him. God desires for us to be free from the, from the brokenness of addictions, from the brokenness of this world. And we are made right when we place our faith in Jesus. And it is at that moment where we repent and come to Jesus that we receive God's forgiveness simply in putting our trust in him, desiring to know him and love him above all things. And it is at the moment that we place our faith in Jesus that we are taken and belong to the family of God. The Lord Jesus causes us to be saved. If that is not you, you do not have a relationship with God. God's desire is that you repent and find forgiveness. For us who are believers, where we struggle with our motivations and we struggle with with living for ourselves versus living for Christ, man, God's desire for you is that you confess, that you confess your sins to to him, that you pour out your, your just... You, you have all the ways that you've been living for yourself versus living for Christ. And we are invited into a deeper relationship with him. We confess and we repent and we come to the cross. We come in prayer because our sins have already been paid for on the cross through Jesus. And when we prioritize the gospel in our lives, God is faithful to meet us where we are. 
He is faithful to bring healing and victory over many parts of our lives. He is also faithful to usher us into a deeper relationship with him. We simply have to surrender to him because we, uh, because he knows, because we know that when we draw near to Christ, that he draws near to us. I want to encourage you this morning, take time confessing. Take time pouring out to God all the ways that you've been living for yourself versus living for Christ.